Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely. In a world given back to us, uh, Mike and I are kind of locked in the studio today. Um, privileged now to have a guest with us who we haven't locked him in. He's free to go if he wants to, but um, we may lock the door if we decide to. But we here at the college are in the same situation as everyone else in America right now. It is St. Patrick's Day, and we are under some level of quarantine here. We, uh, in the state of Wisconsin, have a prohibition of gatherings of more than 50. The federal government is suggesting people not meet with more than 10, and that has meant for the college that we extended spring break from last week to this week and that we are going online for learning for the foreseeable future. Uh, Mike and I will be approaching that different ways in different classes and with different lessons. I have started a YouTube channel uh, on which I have some videos for my classes. Well, all of my classes have some lecture videos already. Um, then now I will take my lunch, which is a appetitus quote, but I'll let people figure out why I chose that for the, uh, the channel. But we also decided, Mike and I did, that we can maybe kind of help each other out and help our students out by doing some of our lessons in a podcast type format. So students should still be taking notes on their readings, but, uh, rather than them watching my ugly mug on the screen for a long time and me lecturing to an empty office, we thought maybe... We could play role of professor and student for each other and have some back and forth, be able to ask questions. And on some of these topics, um, we have things that we can bring to bear to help each other out as well. Because this topic is one that uh, his work also would apply to, uh, something he's taught and uh, something he deals with in campus ministry, we managed to corral Pastor Greg Lyon from campus ministry to join us for this lesson and, and hopefully one more. And and so what we'll be doing at these videos is or these uh, recordings is saying this is the class it's for, this is the reading it's for, if those apply. And then when they go up on the podcast site, students will be able to get them through iTunes or Spotify or different podcatchers and be able to listen wherever they are at. My students should be taking notes on this and taking notes on the reading itself. Those notes should be, they can be on the same page, but it should be clear what goes with what. And I've already set up ways for them to upload those on MyWLC. Some of these topics, though, we also think uh, non-students, uh, listeners might be interested in as well, so they will be available for listeners to follow. Just understand, sometimes listeners, this will be different than a normal um, episode from us, and that there's times where we're speaking specifically to students or things that they've looked at. Um, also, these are not going to be produced as much as the others. The episodes, Peter always produces those really um, you know, painstakingly. The Wingnuts I produce, and you can kind of tell, um, I do not do anything painstakingly in life. So I just kind of produce them, and we put music in. These will have no music. Um, I will be working on the levels, so I will produce them somewhat. Uh, but it's not going to have the normal trappings of a Let the Bird Fly episode. So this uh, recording is for Theology 110, Introduction to Theology. And it is dealing with Luther's large catechism. And the reading is, in Luther's Large Catechism, the reading on the first article of the Creed. So that is what students will have read. Uh, listeners, if you haven't read that, you'll be able to follow along just fine. Uh, Mike and Greg, excuse me. <coughs> I assure you it's allergies, not uh, coronavirus that I have. Greg um, is running down the hall right now. I know. It's, <laughs> he just so, took off. He is very social distance from me in here, though. He's as far away as he can be. It's about six feet at least. Scooting back to seven or eight now. Yeah, so, um, but this will be, uh, uh, 
I think, as I just said, for Theology 110, Luther's Large Catechism, and uh, we're just going to be talking about unpacking some of it, what it has to say and its implications for us, but be doing your readings and taking your separate notes. Um, for 110.2, if you're listening to this, I did send out, I emailed a revised syllabus schedule. It's under resources on MyWLC, and it's been emailed to you also, so be looking at that. The first article, then, of the Creed, if we're thinking of the large catechism, and we're talking about the six chief parts, Mike and Greg, I'll put you on the spot. What are the six chief parts of the catechism? Well, you're going to have the Creed, Ten Commandments, Creed. You're going to have Baptism, Holy Communion. You're going to have uh, the Lord's Prayer and Confession. I want to jump in at least one. Okay, go ahead. Keys and Confession. Keys and Go. Confession. And then, and then after, you're going to have the more the prayers and the table, table of, duties. of duties. Yeah. So the Ten Commandments will come first. Uh, this is uh, Luther's way of saying the primary use of the laws, the theological use of the law. The law always accuses. Um, and then that will be followed by the gospel with the creed. And then the Lord's Prayer. Well, how now do we pray as believers? And then the sacraments. This... Um, that is not to say that the Ten Commandments for Luther are only law, as we talked about in previous videos. The first commandment, the only way to fulfill the first commandment is, is faith, right? God's gift of faith is all that can lead us to trust in God above all things. And his explanation to the Ninth and Tenth Commandments bring that, brings that back out as well. Um, but so we've had the Ten Commandments now. We've had videos on Eighth, Ninth, and Tenth. We met, did it in person in class before that. And we make our way to the Creed. I said in the first video... Pretty much all of the, the parts of the catechism are in the Bible. And uh, some smart aleck could say, well, where's the Apostles' Creed in the Bible? Uh, Mike or Greg, uh, how, what would be your answer if someone said, if, if all the catechism is biblical, why are you using the Creed? What would you say? Well, I mean, it, it's all based on biblical concepts. It starts at creation, uh, which you don't get too far into the Bible without getting God as creator. So that that would be a starting point. Yeah, um, and not just the facts. You know, the facts of the second article are obviously played out in the in the Gospels. Um, but remember that God said to confess, yeah. right? And uh, in multiple places, and so you you speak. But there's also a reality that uh, people are going to twist God's word. We're going to twist God's word. Let's not be so arrogant that we got it all figured out. And so. Uh, creeds are necessary to say, don't go too far this way or too far that way. This is what the Bible says. So, um, and it's more than the cliff notes of the of the story of salvation. Like you can have just like a nice summary, although it's really nice to have a nice summary. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, but they there there's some intricate theology going on into in these creeds that fight against false doctrine. And uh, it is it is the fruit of the labors of, of many important uh, uh, people and the battles in the early church that we have these creeds. Go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, Mike, my next question would be because you teach the worship class, um, and maybe as just a little bit of background on the creeds, why do these make their way into the worship service? Why isn't this just what I say at my baptismal rite? What's the value of um, the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed being spoken every Sunday, the Athanasian Creed once um once yeah, so the Athanasian Creed, the long, long one on Trinity Sunday, typically is sometimes on Christmas Day. Uh, Nicene Creed, usually the main Sunday service would have the Nicene Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a little bit more personal. The catechetical creed, the one at, at baptism, the one uh, I think that when we would visit people in the hospital that, that uh, uh, people had memorized and we would use there. 
and the Nicene Creed right in the name from the Nicene Council 325, uh, hammering out who Jesus is. And who Jesus is is very important so that we know what Jesus can and cannot do for us. Um, and it is a summary of doctrine. When I teach it in the, in the, worship, sir, uh, in the worship class, I say, here's, here's two things to think about. Number one, um, we're not battling these fights so much anymore. We have other bat- battles to fight. And why are we not battling over the Trinity so much in the, in the church? Um, although certainly there are some uh, things that we have to always, always battle uh, that come back uh, again and again. Well, because we say it every Sunday. <laughs> You know, I mean, that, that, that repetition is a big deal. And I, I don't want to be too flippant, but I, I make the comparison that this is the pledge of allegiance of the church. So when we make the pledge of allegiance to the flag, we understand that that flag stands for something. We understand that it's a symbol. We also understand that this symbol of freedom, uh, was fought for and blood was spilt for this. And we're never going to forget. And so the, uh, the creed is I'm standing with the whole church, which is just a whole nother point I'm being connected to your grandparents, maybe, or Luther. August, I mean, these, these Pete, the apostles, this is a big deal. Second century. Christian. Yeah, this is, this is, this is a very mystical, very cosmic. I mean, any big word you want to want to throw in there, it's a big deal. And we will never forget. We will never forget the battles. We'll never forget that blood was spilled in these battles. Uh, in fact, more blood, if you count all the martyrs, than, uh, than, than blood that has been spilled for our physical, secular freedom here in America. We're never going to forget, A, why this is important, B, the blood that was spilled, and C, that we have freedom from sin because of what Christ did, and we're not going to let false doctrine about Christ come in and, and uh, specifically about Christ and rip that. And I know we're not talking about the second article, but that's so very important to understand that he's 100% true man and 100% true God. If we get that wrong, salvation falls, right? So it's so important that we repeat those things. And then uh, for either of you, maybe uh, before I talk a bit, we'll break up my voice. Why the Apostles' Creed? So when we think of students um, in in 110, especially most are Missouri Synod or Wisconsin Synod Lutheran. So they've gone through catechism class, maybe even parochial school most of the way. Why the Apostles' Creed is the main catechetical creed? Yeah, I, what strikes me as interesting about that, and, and I know this isn't exactly where you were going, it, but how many people like to separate, well, this is what Jesus said, versus this is what Paul said, or something like that, as if they're two opposed things. Mm-hmm. So there are certain doctrines we can't touch because... Jesus never talked about that one. But if, if we understand that the church is rooted on the teaching of the apostles and we understand verbal inspiration correctly, all this is one unified piece. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have Jesus training his, his disciples for three years or whatever, and then they're, then they're going off and verbally inspired men carrying this word forward. This is what the church is grounded on. And it's not something made, that we just made up right. 10 yeah. minutes ago. Um, there, there's an importance of tradition in the good sense of being handed down to us. And then, Mike, maybe briefly, why the why the um, the Apostles' Creed here? It, it, as far as that Apostles' Creed being the baptismal creed, how does this develop in the early church? Yeah, I'm not sure if I, I have that on the uh, on the front part of my brain right now. But just to say this, that uh, it's simple. It's I, um, I believe. 
and when it comes to baptism, um, we are declaring that this baby has faith. Right. Right. And uh, we did a whole, whole. And then as a catechumen later, they're going to confess yeah. this. So, so that that baptismal confession is being yeah. used makes yeah. sense. I mean, yeah. in the um, some of the rites we have. Well, pretty much all of I think are baptismal rites. I'm trying to think of it. I never used the the hymnal main one. I always used occasional services, but I think the speaking of the creed is in there. But if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. Mike, yeah. in the early church, they would have asked the catechumen, the adult catechumen, yeah. um, "Do you believe in God the Father?" And he would have said, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth." Yeah. <clears throat> Do you believe in God the Son? Yeah. And so it makes sense that we elaborate upon our baptismal faith that yeah. which. And even confessed. in the baptismal uh, Luther's baptismal <laughs> rite, which is based on the church's yeah. rite, and which I think is is should be used and I used it in our, in our, when I, my time in the parish, um, that you do ask and that, and that godparents or the sponsors do speak for the child. We're indicating that the word of God has changed the heart along, uh, connected with the water has changed the heart of these. And, and we actually do the creed before the baptism, which seems, uh, counterintuitive. Um, but, uh, Franz Pieper had a nice way of thinking about that. And he said, all this happens at once, very quickly, in this this Holy Spirit's action. So we just we just stretch it out, <laughs> um, and there's some truth to that, right? So um, we 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 understand that faith is there, and it is a part of the faith, right? That this is a specific faith. It's not just the child as a trusting child by nature, but that they are part of this specific faith. They specifically trust Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even if they cannot articulate it at that moment. And that that gets to something I was going to bring up before when we talk about the use of the creed. Um, Just in my world, dealing with individuals on a one-on-one situation, whatever they're bringing to the discussion that I'm having with them, it often turns into a question of identity. What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to live my life or whatever, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And how easy it is to go back to the creed. You want to know what your identity is? Here it is. Mm-hmm. This is the name that God has placed on you in your baptism. And that baptismal identity becomes such a, an important thing just for my day-to-day life. Yeah, you tattooed with the uh, name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You right. belong to God. and Yeah. And then <clears throat> maybe... Uh, before we dig into the first article in its entirety, uh, if we can just briefly talk about what we mean when we say articles in the creed. So we tend to speak of three articles in the creed. I believe at times the church has talked about as many as 12 articles in the creed. It's just uh, how we're going to break it up. Mm-hmm. And the way it's been broken up in Luther's catechism, and he's not the first to do this, and the way we think of it today, when we talk about the three articles, we're basically talking about Uh, the three persons of the Trinity. So we tend to think of the first article being God the Father, the second article being God the Son, and the third article uh, being God the Spirit, and then with the church thrown in there because it's the Spirit who enlivens the church and works through the the means of grace. But uh, probably one of the, like, least um, appealing teachings of the church to many people not least appealing as in they reject it, but like to really study in depth is the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people go, okay, yep, it's the Trinity, three in one, and we're going to move on. But maybe if just briefly any thoughts you guys have when it comes to the Trinity and right, triune, three in one, there's three persons in one God. 
So someone always gets wrong on the test. I'll have true or false. God is three gods in one person, and they're racing, and they don't think, <laughs> uh, <coughs> and they're thinking too quickly. But um, when we're talking about person, we're talking about a thing that is its it it has its own thing in a sense. Um, so the Father is not the Son, right? Jesus is Jesus. The Father is the Father, and yet they're of one substance or essence. There is only one God, and and the Trinity, for instance, when um, if you have Muslim friends, it's really hard for them to wrap their head around how we're monotheists when mm-hmm. we talk about the, the Trinity. Um, so there's one God, but three persons. And, you know, the, the easy chart to remember this is the Father um, is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is God, but the Son is not the Father. What, um, for either of you, have you found anything particularly helpful for teaching the Trinity in your ministry? Or is there any particular comfort um, that you anything that you bring out of the Trinity that maybe people don't think about as being something that's an extremely uh, practical and applicable thing. I, I mean, I'd say for starters, before we get to the overly <laughs> practical and applicable, I try to help students see how challenging this actually is to kind of get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's not the best place to start if you're, I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, I start asking them questions like, Explain Good Friday to me. If, you, if you're telling me that you fully understand the Trinity, mm-hmm. explain Good Friday to me. Because all I want them to see is this incomprehensible mystery. And then following that up with just, it's a, an old cliche, but do you really want a God that fits right. within the framework of your own head? Right. If you want a God that that's, that's that small, you can create him anytime you want. Yeah. Um, but here we have a God that goes far beyond anything that we can comprehend. So I don't necessarily share that to help them understand, but just to help ease the fact that you don't have to understand it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I would like to use Augustine's theory and flat out say, I don't know if this is true. I'm just telling you this. Just to, just to point out, like, this is bigger than us, right? And so you may get stuck on the, on the mathematical problem, um, but maybe just think that there's something else going on here, which is kind of what exactly what you were saying, kind of the practical side of it. And if you're not familiar with, with Augustine uh, saying, you know, God has to be one. If there's, not, if there's more than one, then you have the problem of who is first, who created, who, those kinds of things. I mean, it... One, that singularity, if you will, I think is, is kind of important and it seems to make sense logically. Two, uh, you know, you got this dualistic kind of yin and yang, whatever. I, I, I think there's some, tends to be some problems with that dualistic God even, uh, sense of God, even though it may work logically. But he went to the idea of love, right? If God is eternal and God is love, <clears throat> then um, he needed to love somebody for all eternity eternity because he can't choose. And since we're not eternal, it wouldn't be love for, from all eternity. That would just be narcissism if he loved himself, right? So the lover is God, the beloved is the son, as we know, and the spirit that proceeds from the father and the son is love in, in, in that way. And, you know, we, there's nothing that we can, we could sort of pick and choose some passages from the Bible that may fit that. But, you know, we don't really know if that's the reason we don't need to know. But it is something just to to broaden them from just kind of a Western mathematical sort of scientific way that they're thinking and say that, you know, be open to some sort of kind of 
for lack of a better term, some mysticism here. And then to always bring it back, of course, to say, you know, it didn't have to be love. It didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be that Jesus came down and died. You know, it didn't have to be that we could rightly say God died, right? Um, yeah, the Trinity is harder to do than, than the two natures of Christ, even though the math is impossible in both of them. Um, but we can very easily logically say if God is, if Jesus is not 100% true God or 100% true man, salvation falls apart, right? The Trinity is harder, but I think there is some healthy skepticism from Augustine that I, I, I think it's helpful. Yeah, and I, I, I like that, um, as both of you have brought out, that God by his very nature, before we're even brought into the picture, is relational, right? He is a social God. <laughs> And that's so what the creed person, does. That, that's what a person yeah, is. Yeah, and so the creed brings us into that. The first article brings us into a personal relationship with God in that whether we realize it or not, all we have is from him, right? We are a creature, and these are, these are um, our eyes and ears and members. That Christ brings us into the redemptive relationship that the Spirit brings us into the church, I think can be very helpful too. That do we have a God who, who by nature is social and, and he's made us a part of that family, which is why... It's the triune name that is put upon us in baptism and at the beginning of services and with the absolution. It always, a little bit of me dies every time a pastor starts the service and goes, we now begin in the name of the Father. No, the invocation is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that saying? It's saying, we who are here now are in that. We are part of God's family. And then what do we do is that? We confess our sins. We don't deserve to be. But then God says through the pastor, he forgives our sins, and he says, you are my family, deal with it. <clears throat> and that, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is then um, given us uh, again. And, th- and then another application that I used often, and, and I wonder if you guys, I mean, it, it's impossible to pass discussing love and the Trinity if you're getting into pre-marriage counseling or something. You think about that in connection with college students who are, who are in relationships. Um, I don't think you get very far in pre-marriage counseling without talking about love and connection with the Trinity and what love is. So is that, I mean, is that something that you guys ever used as part of your pre-marriage counseling? I had it, but it sounds like a good yeah, idea. Yeah, not to the Trinity. I mean, you know, the four loves and, and that kind of stuff. Sure. And, but yeah, no, that's that's something I, now I want to go back. Thanks I forget for where I had heard my, that. My memory of my pastoral ministry. Uh, you're welcome. My gift to you. <laughs> not, not the first or the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much I actually used it myself. I'd have to no, go back and, and and remember. But yeah, and then the connection to baptism, of course, is right. is right there. Yeah. Um, so, we're to the first article. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And you would think, okay, not much we can say about that. Mm-hmm. God made us. We get it. Luther actually says this is one of the hardest things to believe mm-hmm. um, because it's very hard to believe we are a creature and God is creator. What's the, what's the first sin, right? It's wanting to be like God. I, I think some people then take the first article and largely view it. Okay, God is maker. I'm creature. He's sovereign. I'm here to serve and worship him. That's my job. His job is to be worshiped. <clears throat> and the first article can become very law-driven, mm-hmm. right? Um, basically, every human religion, to some extent, has the first article that they they understand there's someone who deserves to be worshipped, and when we want to have 
be fertile to have babies or we want to be fertile to grow crops. And he or she seems to be really ticked off. Yeah, and if we want to win a war, then we've got to do stuff to get them to help us do that. Um, what would be, so once again, first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and students be reading what Luther has to say. We're not just going to read Luther to you here. We're here to expound upon it. But for either of you, um, does the gospel come into the first article? And if so, where? I, just as it does to uh, gospel comes in the Ten Commandments, <coughs> that these are gifts that God has given us, right? And so the first, uh, the Ten Commandments primarily show us that we have not uh, uh, followed God's law and we need a Savior. But it's not like God is making these rules to make our life miserable. He's making these rules so to protect the gift. I mean, just be flat out with, with college students, you know, uh, listen, he wants you to enjoy sex and not to do, have it with a lot of shame. That's why he has these. Well, I'm supposed you know, to say that word. I, well, I know, but like, listen, you don't, you could do it guilt free. And you're making it really hard for me not to make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> do it guilt free. And this means follow these rules, not because I'm a prude, but because Would you just it's not going to work out. Blushing, Mike? <laughs> you're not blushing. <laughs> I think maybe I a little bit. If you shaved a little bit, maybe you would <laughs> yeah. be able to see the red cheeks. So in the same way, when God creates the heavens and the earth, it is for those created in his image to enjoy, to work, uh, to, to, um, to have dominion over, not necessarily to dominate in a, in a, in a negative way. Um, and so if you notice that before sin... That's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They're not ashamed. They can they can talk in the cool of the you know, but when sin enters, then the sovereignty of God becomes a problem. So I think about it this way: you know, if if you're if you're a child of God, then God is my my daddy is, is can beat up your daddy, but if you are have a broken relationship with your father, or uh, there's a big bad dude that's not your father. Then you live in fear, right? And even if someone didn't have a good father, they know they probably know more than the rest of us what a good father looks like, and it has to be one of love. And so that power, that sovereignty, either is on your side or against you. There's no middle ground. To go to that something you just brought out there, Mike, too, which I, <clears throat> I think is extremely helpful. I, I like the picture of creation creative acts on the whole being acts of love, right? Um, ideally, within the marital relationship, children come out of love and intimacy and, and companionship. Um, think of an artist getting lost in their craft and that art that, um, I'm not talking about like the assembly line type of creativity here, but maybe the person who invents the thing even that the assembly line produces, they, they, they put themselves into that thing. They see a problem. It's what they think about. They, they're invested in it. Um, and I think that is a good expression of God's relationship with his creation. Uh, and it also helps us understand why he doesn't just say to hell with it after the fall into sin. <clears throat> he has invested in it. He's put himself into it. Uh, Greg, you look like you had something. Yeah, I, just kind of piggybacking off of what Mike said, too. If we have a proper understanding of the Trinity and we understand the Trinity and how love exists within the Trinity— <coughs> You can find simple gospel in asking the question, what did God have to benefit by giving us this creation, by creating anything? If we understand that the Trinity 
is completely whole and complete in and of itself and has no need of anything else, all the creative act can only be gospel. Um, yep. Because, like we said, God is not a narcissist waiting to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he didn't benefit in and of himself mm-hmm. by creating anything. Mm-hmm. So everything is gift, just like you were saying. But if, yep. you, if you ask that question, well, what does God have to gain by having you? Um, then all that's left is gospel. And, and I think here, um, sometimes we talk about the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, and people go right to Genesis 3 with the promise of the Savior. But I think it's helpful when we read Genesis to keep in mind um, that the gospel is already there in Genesis 1. Right, The righteousness that Adam and Eve have is no less gift than it is after the fall when it's given to us through faith in Christ. <clears throat> they weren't created and then God said, do these things and you'll be righteous. They were created in the image of God that was gifted to them, this original righteousness. And then this whole world around them was given for them. Right, mm-hmm. This is for them to enjoy and even to tend to in a way that they could flourish in, that they could invest themselves in and do. And so I think this is very helpful to keep in mind. And then maybe something I'll throw back at you guys then is how does this, um, and my students have heard me get on this, you know, uh, bully pulpit enough time in other classes, but how does viewing this, um, that creation itself is gospel, that the creation itself is gift, how might this impact the Christian life and, and help people um, who live anxiously in a fallen world um, and understand there's something they're lacking and, and maybe um, understand or have the compulsion to even self-justify themselves in the midst of it? How does just simply understanding that, that we are creature, not in a way that's meant to be um, a diminishment of us, but that we are creature in a way that actually is... Uh, a statement of our importance to God and that creation is gift. How might this impact the Christian life? And you guys can go wherever you want with that. Well, freedom, right? I mean, and maybe back up a little bit, we're created in the image of God. And if we're, we're looking at the attributes of God, even if I don't have the Bible, even if I am not a Christian, I can, I can come to a conclusion that, okay, there had to be something that was pretty powerful outside of time and space, pretty intelligent, a free agent and creative. So we get a little we get a little weird when we talk about the Im- image of God. When the image of God is lost, the pr- original righteousness is lost. If you want to call that a shell remains or whatever, but already in Genesis nine, God says, um, "I'm going to kill you if you kill somebody." And the value of that person, because the value of that person is created in the image of God, we don't get it fully back unless we are in Christ. Yes, but we are, if we're creating the image of God, rational. Um, seek wonderment, seek epicness, but we're also creative and we're free. And so to give us something where we can enjoy this freedom, to give us something where we can be creative, where we can wonder at things, go through, you know, modern science, right? And exploring and all of these things I think is super valuable. And that freedom and that creativity to... Uh, flourish to seek things is a part of a human. It's part of humanity that it's one of the things that makes us different than any other being. And when we take a look at the world and we say, that's 
either a burden or it is something that we use to justify our existence before God and before man, then we have taken a gift and we've ruined it. And we are the ones who suffer for it. And so to be so free from those burdens, that's why we say this is a world given back to us. And God gives it to us. We screw it up. Then he redeems us. And then he says, here's the world again. <laughs> Let's do this again. Yeah. And for us, that's a constant thing, isn't it? Like, like I mean, just our, you know, uh, there's plenty, plenty of times in our marriages or being uh, as fathers where, oh, this is a beautiful gift. And then, and then the child becomes kind of an annoying little whatever. But then we have that moments where God gives that child back to us and we see it as gift and wonderful uh, and, and, and a wonderful gift once again, or at least I'm hoping so. Yeah, and there's there's an interesting. I don't, I, Mike's gonna make fun of me for quoting Stokes again. <laughs> um, Epictetus talks about in his Enchiridion um, that you should kind of view your family like a ceramic cup, and if you drop that cup and it breaks, it's you go, well, it's not so much that individual cup that I love, but ceramic cups as a whole. <laughs> and I would say for years I read that as being this kind of cold, like I don't value this thing. How could I not value my family? That sounds terrible. But what he actually means is that you should love your kids so much that you realize they're on loan to you, they're gift. You only get them for so long, and one day they'll be taken from you. And realizing that they may be taken from you, that that cup might break, actually increases its value for for the time that you have it. So I don't put off enjoying my children as gift for a later day. I say this is gift for me to enjoy now. This is a, a valuable gift. And yes, this gift, my child is part of children, mm-hmm. right? My child is in many ways wrapped up in children. It's not a different class of things. And I think that too um, is helpful because otherwise what we do, we get so afraid of losing that thing that we hold it so tightly that we're like in The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, and he talks about Mrs. Fidget. I don't know if you remember that. And he says, uh, uh, the vicar says Mrs. Fidget is at peace now because she's died. And, and Lewis says, I don't know if that's true, but the, her family surely is. Because <laughs> she suffocates her family um, because she doesn't understand affection, just kind of grows. Um, and so she's holding on to it too tight. Um, and I think you know the first article enables us to enjoy the thing for what it is for while we have it. We have our eyes, ears, and all our members. But my eyes might not be equally strong all my life or my hearing. Um, my body is, is, is going to age. And, and But at the same time, it, it's still gift in every breath I have is and gift. And even as our bodies age, there's things that come with it. And I'm guessing you guys are in a similar boat that there's some things now that I just understand in a way that I could never have understood it in my 20s. Right, I've had to learn it through experience. Well, as much as I would rather have my body from my 20s back, there's also things that I wouldn't have had it not been for aging, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so... Uh, oh, you're you know, like a fine wine, Wayne. I don't well, know about that. Kind of like a... Uh, I don't know what ages doesn't go, it doesn't perish, but it's like not as cured, good anymore. Maybe more like a cured Big meat. Big Mac. You ever <laughs> see those? Yeah. A cured meat. <laughs> But any, any other I'm going to hang on to that for a long time. <laughs> Aid, wages, Wade ages like, like a, a cured meat. <laughs> but anything uh, else you guys have with the wall. first article, I don't want to dominate. What, one thing that I was thinking about, uh, first article is gospel. This gets a little bit more into the small catechism. But just that 
Luther highlights the point that God still preserves me. You know, we're not deists. God didn't just throw us on this Mm -hmm. world and just Mm -hmm. let us fly. Um, Well, not to not to steal any thunder from you know the title of your podcast or anything. Mm -hmm. Let the but um, that God is still actively involved, um, still caring for us through the people that other people can view me as gift. Um, You know, not only are not only are you all a gift to me, but I can be a gift to you as well. Yeah, there's, there's, and that ties in, this is where, you know, vocation properly belongs to the table of duties, but when it comes to my purpose and my value, and, you know, if we want to put it into terms of like self-esteem, um, this is where we put vocation that God preserves us. How? By just sending us man and quail? No, farmer, truck driver, FD inspector, all that kind of stuff, grocer, person who prepares the food for us. We're also here talking about the image of God a little bit and have already and the importance and the value of me as an individual is played out practically in exactly what you just said vocation so you know uh, uh, the first article has a lot going on to it even though it's really only one sentence (coughs) and so we better not uh, it always reminds me we have something like one sentence for the first article one of my favorite uh, sermons of luther's is his sermon on the, the circumcision of our lord um, which is actually a really cool festival to preach because yeah. it's the first time Christ sheds blood for us. And he says, this is a short reading, so I'll keep the sermon short, and it's like 10 pages <laughs> to follow. But uh, uh, that will will cover the first article for us. Um, the second article will be covered either uh, on a podcast recording like this or by video. Be watching. When we get this produced, I will send out links to the class. I thank Pastor Lyon for helping us. I thank Mike uh, for kind of this arrangement we're working on where we can help each other out. But be reading in uh, Luther's Large Catechism then. Get your notes. Take your notes on the audio. And I hope uh, this week of adjustments with logistics as as you are traveling as students, figuring out how you're going to be doing work, where you're going to be doing it, how are you going to get your books. Um, I know Pastor Lyon on behalf of the CMO is keeping you in their prayers. And, uh, you know, you should feel free to email them if there's anything they can do to be of an assistance <clears throat> to reach out to them. Uh, the theology department certainly is as well. This is new times for all of us. We might be older than our students, but but I can say it's new. For, we had 9-11, but even 9-11 wasn't an ongoing thing like this as far as with daily life. So um, it's new for all of us, and uh, we'll get through it together. And as we do so, we will uh, let the bird fly. <laughs>